Welcome to Leading Simple with Rusty George. Our goal is to make following Jesus and leading others a bit more simple. Here's your host, Rusty George. Hey everyone, it's episode 136 of Leading Simple. We're so glad that you are with us. My name is Rusty George. I'll be walking you through today. We have recently been picked up by an incredible organization called Charisma. They have a platform that literally reaches millions of people every single month, many of whom listen to podcasts on their platform. We're honored to be part of their organization and part of their platform. And so for those of you that are longtime Charisma fans and listeners, and you might have just checked us out because you're a bit interested in the topic, thank you. We're really honored to have you. Uh, we've also picked up some sponsors along the way, Stadia Church Planting and Growmentum. Both of these organizations help churches go to the next level. They help, help churches start and they help them grow. Growmentum can be reached at growmentumgroup.com. And Stadia Church Planting can be reached at stadiachurchplanting.com. Boy, just fantastic teams working with these two organizations. They've helped us in many ways. Uh, so if you're interested in growing your church or starting a church, check them out. Well, today's guest is a leader, a podcaster, and a member of our armed forces. His name is Sean Morgan. Sean joined CDF Capital, that's Church Development Fund Capital, in 2014 to launch the Leadership Capital Team. Uh, he's focused on elevating local church leaders and their kingdom impact. He's become a nationally known coach and speaker, and he finds great joy in navigating ministries from obstacles to opportunities. Uh, he's developed a national reputation for connecting with ministry leaders and being a catalyst of fresh vision, and he founded and curates the AscentLeader.org, and he also has an incredible podcast called Leaders in Living Rooms. So can't wait for you to hear from him. He's uh, a fascinating guy, also a pilot of KC-10s, and just amazing. I think you're going to love it. Here we go. Well, Sean, it is great to have you on the podcast, and uh, I, I'm honored to have you with us. I've been a fan of your podcast for some time, and now to have you uh, with us on mine is uh, is a real treat. And for our uh, listeners that maybe don't know you, um, give us a little bit of your background. Uh, how'd you get to where you are? And then I want to dive into a little bit of your time in the Air Force. So give us a snapshot on your life. Yeah. Wow. Well, first of all, it's wonderful to be here with you, Rusty. Mark Briggs, a mutual friend of ours, pointed me to this podcast a while back, and uh, I was blown away the first time I listened to it for, for many things, both just who you are and how you think. I think you got an incredible podcast voice too. And uh, so, you know, for, for uh, all the right reasons, your podcast, I think, is, is successful. It's an honor to be here. But for me, wow. Um, well, you know, I grew up in a, a Christian home, started out in NorCal, but my dad was, was an architect. And uh, it's probably more fair to say he was an artist. Um, he's really, really good at understanding the shape of a building. He doesn't like the, the project management side of things, but started focusing on churches. So I grew up in a church uh, environment, a church plant actually, and didn't really know it. it. It's church when you're a little kid. You don't really think about anything beyond that. But it was a church plant and was very attracted I think throughout my life then to innovative ideas and expressions of how to reach people um, from a standpoint of, of the purpose of the church. So, but I never imagined myself being in ministry. I had a, a wanderlust for military and aviation and uh, found my way into 
Air Force uh, aviation and into the cockpit of a, a KC-10 in a reserve squadron here in Northern California. And that's a pretty good gig for, for countless reasons, but um, love what I get to do there and still do it actually as a pilot in the Air Force Reserve and pursued some other avenues. But wouldn't you know it, God brought my wife and I into a church plant outside of the San Francisco Bay Area here a number of years ago and, and called us into lay leadership. And out of that, the pastor and the elders of that church uh, called me to become the executive pastor. I had never heard those two words at the time, spent a season uh, explaining to them and God why I was a bad choice. Mm-hmm. Um, and and ultimately uh, surrendered to the idea that uh, maybe all the things that I was doing in my life just maybe uh, were more oriented to what I wanted than what God wanted and had uh, really breathed life into me for. And also the mindset that what if all those things were actually just preparation for what God was calling me to next? And uh, worked in a local church for a number of years and uh, about a decade ago, started doing some what I would would have called at the time coaching and consulting, but really it was bringing perspective and advice and encouragement to leaders that I was connected with, and uh, that's that's led me to what I'm doing now. I want to dig a little deeper on what you just said because I think a lot of our our listeners are in that boat where maybe they're sensing a tug into ministry, maybe they're trying to figure out just where God is leading them, maybe not even vocationally speaking. And there's that, that tug of war in our minds of, is this me? Is this God? Is this right or wrong? Um, you, you know, just that, that feeling that you just mentioned of, how do you know when your life has prepared you for this next moment? Or how do you know that maybe um, you're, you're comfortable and you shouldn't be? Um, and so, you know, sometimes we have a job and we think, boy, I love this job but maybe God's calling me to be uncomfortable. And, and sometimes he doesn't call us to be victims. He calls victims, but doesn't call us to, you know, that kind of life. How do you, how do you kind of understand the difference between the two? Well, I would say, I think it's a sliding scale. When you mentioned the last thing you talked about was being comfortable. And I, I sort of feel like we're, it, we're never comfortable or not comfortable. We're always some shade of comfortable. And the more we are comfortable, um, the the worse it actually is for us. Like we cling to comfort because in the moment it feels so good. But if we are on mission, I'm not talking about just the local church. I'm talking about if you're a believer, um, then you are on mission. If you have breath today, the word retirement isn't in scripture. Now, I'm not saying you can't quit your job, but the the concept of being done while you still have life doesn't work in the Bible. So if God's given you breath, he has a purpose for today. And whether it's um, successes or failures or hurts along the way, they all help create who you are today. And so you you get to, we get to steward that moment. So the more comfortable we are, the worse off we are from a, a big C church or kingdom minded concept. And uh, I, I absolutely wrestled with God. I did not want to be in vocational ministry. Um, I don't believe 
very many people are called into vocational ministry, but we are all called into ministry. We are all called into, you know, the priesthood of the saints. We, we steward back to that concept. We steward who we are and the day that we have today. And it's for the good of spreading the gospel. It's for the good Mm -hmm. of, you know, um, the fruits of the spirit should be expressed every day and who we are. So we ought to be able to say, I want to look forward today to love, joy, peace, patience, you know, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control and look back yesterday and see the same. And, um, you should have some plurality of spiritual family, which is the definition of a church. And so, um, however that, that, um, takes place in your life, the, a, a corporation like a U.S. corporation a 501 C three, that is a church hmm. or a group of people that are believers coming together for the purposes of reaching and developing others and helping them become like Jesus, meet Jesus and become like Jesus, um, ultimately the great commission, um, that is, that is your purpose. And it doesn't have to take vocational ministry. It doesn't have to be in a 501c3 corporation as a church or in a paid position at a church. In fact, I would say that it, it shouldn't, the vast majority of us, it never will. Mm. Um, but God still has a call and a purpose for your life for building the kingdom. And for mm. me, it, it wasn't that uh, vocational ministry until about 2005. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's such a good word. Well, I want to dive into your uh, time in the Air Force, which I believe you're, are you currently still yeah. part of the Air yeah, Force? Yeah, I'm a lieutenant okay. colonel uh, in the Air Force. I served in the, the 70th Air Refueling Squadron, which is a KC-10 squadron here at Travis Air Force Base in California. Wow. What now? Tell me what that is like. What's that like flying planes and and being what a lot of us saw in Top Gun? Even though I know that technically was the Navy, but you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, well, there. I think there's really two things for me when you say what's it like. Um, first of all, uh, it's a childhood. It's a dream. It's a dream. Like I get paid to fly jets, and uh, it's a childhood dream. So that tells you a lot about me. Like uh, a big part of me never grew up. And that is one part where, uh, as a child, I always was fascinated with aviation. And um, as an older guy, Air Force military aviation is is a young person's business. And so as an older guy in that, you move out of where your primary job is, is just flying the airplane. And then it becomes teaching, instructing, um, you know, providing examinations and what we call um, standards, evaluating the standards of aviation. So as a Czech airman, and so I've sort of moved into that phase. So for me, I love it because it's a part of me that never grew up and it is an absolute joy. You know, for all of humanity, we've looked to the sky and imagined flight. And it's only for a couple generations that we've been able to do it. So um, (laughs) I, I, it's a pinch me day. Every day I put on the flight suit and walk out on the flight line. Um, and I love developing others. And so I get to do that. Uh, this it's, it's an interesting metaphor. I'm a tanker pilot. So we refuel airplanes in the sky. Um, and that's, that's an interesting metaphor. When you look at my ministry of pouring into local church leaders, it's sort of like surfaced uh, alongside everything in my life. So there's that side of it. And then there's just the aspect that I love 
service to country um, and those types of things. But it, um, as much as you love that, that, that esprit de corps, it also comes with deployments. It also comes with, you know, months away from the family. It also comes with, uh, you know, a combat environment too. So mm. it's a both and. All right. I've always wondered about people that fly a plane and then approach another plane and then try to refuel it. That seems like the most difficult thing in the world. Is there any margin of error or is it just so, so tedious? Is it like Luke Skywalker trying to fire that, you know, missile or whatever into the Death Star and you get one shot? <laughs> it, for us, it is, uh, it is absolutely the most critical thing we do. And, um, you know, the, I have total respect for these guys that are landing on boats and I've got friends doing that. I've never, I've got some time in fighters, but never landing or taking off on an aircraft carrier. So I would say, you know, landing, uh, uh, on an aircraft carrier and, uh, that environment would probably be one of the most, uh, stressful things for us in, in the tanker world. And certainly in the big aircraft world, it is absolutely, I mean, I've flown in, to windy days in ice storms with runway covered in snow and ice at night and crosswinds blowing sideways down the runway. But I would say that's easier and less stressful than doing air refueling. So not even as a tanker. So we, we refuel other airplanes, but often our mission requires us to refuel. And typically when we refuel, we are carrying a group of fighters. We call it a fighter drag across the ocean. And so we will get gas from another tanker and continue on with the mission, but you're in the middle of nowhere. And often the middle of nowhere is the polar, like North Atlantic, uh, North Pacific environments. And so when you're at night doing that in bumpy weather and there's lightning storms um, and those types of things around you, and you've got dozens of airplanes, depending on you being in just a, a small envelope behind another airplane for about 10 or 15 minutes holding like our airplane when it's full is 600,000 pound airplane. So keeping a 600,000 pound airplane behind another 600 pound, 600,000 pound airplane in, in an envelope of just a few feet up, down, uh, left and right for 10 to 15 minutes is, is definitely one of the more stressful things. But this, this sort of plays into to leadership and influence in general. But if we, if we study it, if we train for it, um, it becomes one of those things where almost every time I fly, I'm up there refueling as a receiver and doing those training, preparing for mm. what it is as those pinnacle moments. Yeah, I've got to just imagine that if you do that, then you have no other stress in your life. I wish, nothing else I could so wish that were true. <laughs> I mean, nothing else could possibly be as stressful as that. Is that true? No. I mean, I think in the moment, yeah, there is like sort of like that high blood pressure uh, pucker factor. But when you, when you take stress and you say, well, you can have a lot of it in a few minutes or you can have a moderate amount over a longer period of time, mm. um, I think certainly leadership. And being in the people business as we are in ministry presents stresses that uh, outweigh the total gravity of the stress, the impact on your body. Um, you know, I was, I was talking with somebody recently and the conversation was oriented around that burnout rarely has anything to do with how many hours you're working, but it has, you know, in the people business, it has to do with unmet expectations and disappointment and other things that create this burden that 
leads to burnout. And so, yeah, I think the cumulative effect of things in the leadership business, um, great leaders, particularly pastor leaders, local church leaders, I think it's the toughest job in the world. Well, I think that segues really well into what we're living through post-2020 and post-COVID. It, I mean, what right. you just said right there about that sustained intensity of stress, I mean, that has been, you know, the last year or so that we've been going through COVID. Uh, there were highs and lows, there were difficult times and less difficult times, but it's been that constant decision fatigue for a lot of leaders. What are you seeing leaders dealing with now and how are they coping with it to just try to deal with that constant sense of stress? I think leaders are making peace. There's actually another aviation metaphor in here. One of the things I think that's great about aviation is you know what you're in control of and what you're not in control of. Mm. I'm in control of the airplane, I'm not in control of the weather. Uh, I'm not in control of air, air traffic control who may ask me to do something different. Um, and so you, you accept very clearly, these are the things I can and cannot control. And I think good leaders right now are learning how to make peace with things they thought and perhaps even have been taught they should be in control of as a leader only to find out they're not in control of. And, and one of those things would be vision clarity, right? You're in control of establishing vision clarity, right? You know, good luck with that in 2020, right? Vision that goes more than 24 hours into the future is, um, you know, it's like one of those things we say, if you plan early, you plan often because it's going to change. <laughs> That's a good statement there. Boy, that is so true, especially for those of us that are planners and we like to be disciplined. I, I remember like right after, you know, March 11th, 2020, when everything kind of got shut down, I was just so mad because I had my Easter message already written. You know, and <laughs> we had all these things planned and, and so on and so forth. And every, everything just changed. And that ability to be flexible is really hard for those of us who are planners. Uh, how do you do that with, with military backing? Because you really sense that if you're in the military, you're very structured, but yet you also deal with a high amount of chaos. How, how do you balance those two? Yeah. Yeah, that's really interesting. Um in the aviation world, I think it starts with um, an understanding of what the objectives are. Like, if everything went perfect, this is what would happen. And, you know, we can talk about training missions, those are a little bit different, but in a combat environment, I I don't think, so, so typically the way things are structured is um, the air power resides and you know think think back to you know the scud missile days and all these other things the air force bases the the military might resides a distance away from the enemy right so that you have like safety in this buffer zone um but what we do is we bring these air assets into the proximity you know we we cross what's called the forward edge of the battle area and now we're into enemy territory, but we do that strategically. I don't think I've ever flown from the place I took off at to the combat zone where by the time I arrived at the battle edge, it's like a FEBA, F-E-B-A, forward edge of the battle area, that hmm. things were still the same, mm -hmm. right? Because 
from the time you left the planning room, there's things happening on the ground. And at the end of the day, here's the first point of clarity in, in, in aviation is, is part of our objective is always to support what's happening on the ground, right? It's not vice versa. So regardless of advancements in warfare, we don't control anything until we have people boots on the ground in that area establishing that so that they're our client so that's the first point of clarity is things are going to change because the client is engaged in things from the the several hundred miles we just flew from there to here stuff happened so from the planning room to here stuff happened we have to be willing to adapt to that and it comes from missional clarity at the end of the day my mission isn't to execute the plan that i was briefed on four hours ago it's to know what the point of that plan was and then to learn what's changed since then and then to complete what I can in between those two things. And if you apply that into anything in life that's that's chaotic and in response to things that you can't control as a leader, what that does is that gives you better clarity knowing what you are originally after at, as the finish line and then to know, can I still get there? Or maybe not. Maybe we're only going to get halfway there, but I can still get further than we are at this moment based on what's happening around me, based on the combat environment, based on, you know, ta other taskings that have happened where you thought you had other assets in the theater and now they're pulled into a different environment to, to, to support something else that's going on. So there's chaos and there's change. But in the leadership position, you make peace with what you can't control. You see clearly the gap between where things are and where you know you need to try to get them. And then that becomes your new objective. That's really well said. Boy, there's some real meat in that. That's, that's great. I'm thinking about all of our volunteer leaders and even um, support staff in churches that have to deal with, and certainly during the COVID season, a constant change uh, in, in direction. Obviously, the mission remains the same. No matter what a church calls their mission statement, it's the Great Commission just reward, yep. reworded. Yes, it is. But that's, that's our mission. But obviously, the way we do it and the way we execute it changes. And we can put a lot of effort and energy into a plan, and then it gets changed at the last minute because of weather or COVID or whatever it might be. In your world in the military, I've always been impressed with how everybody follows direction and orders, and that's kind of how you've learned to survive. But yet there's a part of you, and you just mentioned this, that you have to know a little bit of the reason why. And I'm curious from you going from military thinking into being an executive pastor, now you're casting vision for leaders and volunteers and staff people, and you don't always have time to explain all the whys, and you've always got people out there that wanna know more information, sometimes out of just curiosity, and sometimes because they need it. How do you balance the levels of disclosure uh, and the amount of information people need at the moment and maybe just can resign to, to, to learn later? Yeah. Well, I, the first thing is just urgency. And this is one of the brilliance about the chain of command and rank and those types of things. Um, there's, there's a dark side to that, right? So the, the bright side of that is when it's urgent, if I'm in charge and I say it needs to be done this way, at the end of the day, I need you to go do that. Um, and if you look at uh, Hollywood and how the military is portrayed and, and probably how the military used to be more like, that's 
almost all you see a lot of times in the military um, is this iron fisted kind of like super confident leader and everybody follows them. But the truth is, is that you only have so many of chip, those chips you can cash. Hmm. And, and leadership at the end of the day, even in uniform is still about, about influence and we're all human, right? So there, there has to be an element of like, you know, res, do I respect this person? Do I trust this person? Do I respect this person? And so when, when you talk about disclosure, um, there are times where for the sake of urgency, you have to make a decision and you have to have the people that are, are underneath you um, support that decision and you live with the consequences. But if you do that, uh, it destroys, I think, just the sense of value that the rest of the team is bringing. Um, so I think when when it's not urgent, I think you know you have an obligation to train and develop others around you. So you have an obligation to help paint a picture and let them see how they would make a choice mm. and begin to engage in conversation just like you would if you were raising kids at some point you don't tell your kid what to do you say hey here's your options what do you think and you begin to raise that child into the decision making of you know a youth or a preteen and a teen so that when they set sail when they spread their wings um, that they're, they're already good at that, that it's mm -hmm. not, you know, that's not something decision-making isn't something you want your 18 year old to learn after they leave the home. You want them learning it when they're 13 under your roof. And so I think the same thing is true in leaders. You just have to realize that, yeah, you probably can make that decision if you're the boss, the president, the CEO, the senior pastor. Um, but is there an opportunity for you not to, that has a greater greater purpose. And I think the same thing is true in the military. So, and that's a big part. We, we, for every hour we spend in combat, we've spent 50, I don't know, 40, 50 hours in training. Hey, let me interrupt the podcast for a second, just to give you some exciting news. If you haven't heard after amen, my latest book, my favorite book is now on audible. That's right. Download the audible app, sign up, and go ahead and get yourself a download of After Amen, What to Do When You're Waiting on God. Great thing to listen to in the gym, on a long car trip, in your commute, uh, maybe as you're going to sleep. My wife tells me it puts her to sleep, so whatever it takes, I guess. Um, but it's hopefully very helpful for people as they wrestle with, okay, I prayed, now what do I do? Is there anything I do after I pray that might get God's attention or get the answer I'm looking for? There actually is. So take a look at that, audible.com, amazon.com. All right, now back to the show. Well, I feel like I could talk to you about this all day because I think there's so many, there's so many, uh, well, I heard it said this way, you know, leadership is part art and part science and the art of knowing when to be the army general versus the uh, congressman who's building coalition and, uh, and synergy. It seems like you have to go back and forth between those two all the time. You've had a chance to talk to some incredible leaders and in this podcast that you've created. And I, I want you to tell our listeners about the podcast, kind of why you started it. And then I want to ask you about some of these leaders you've talked to. Yeah. Um, so the, the podcast is Leaders in Living Rooms. Uh, thanks for letting me mention it. It's, it's one of the things I'm so excited about it because it's just gained so much momentum so quickly. And I just know it is really serving our frontline audience right now more effectively than just about anything else we do. So the reason why I started it is, was, um, 
by, well, so, somebody encouraged me to do it. Um, but they had encouraged me for a couple of years before I said yes. And the reason why I finally did it was the, the core of what my work has grown towards is serving leaders in cohorts, just small groups of leaders and navigating about a year together. We get together physically three times during that year and really come underneath the tutelage of some incredible coaches and mentors. And what I realized was no matter that, first of all, that doesn't scale very well. It scales a little bit, but it doesn't scale very well. And no matter uh, what we were doing to grow that and continue to serve, we would, we would still probably never serve more than like 1% of the church leaders out there. Mm -hmm. And so I started to feel the weight of obligation to do something about that. And, you know, what's on the other end, other end of scalability is the digital realm, right? You write mm -hmm. a, a PDF ebook and you release it. And it, once it's written, it's no more work for you, no matter how many downloads it gets. And the same thing is true of the podcast. So I realized that I'm absolutely fired up to see leaders in these cohort environments because I think it's the best thing for their development. But at the same point, knowing that 99% will probably never engage in that. So I said, well, we get invited into these incredible leaders homes and we have these wonderful conversations in their living rooms. And somebody said, you ought to name your pod because they knew I was wrestling with the idea. They said, it's time for you to do the podcast and you need to name it leaders in living rooms. And you just mm. need to take a slice of all these things you're learning. And some of them aren't for public consumption and they won't be, but the, the vast majority of these conversations and get them out there for the world to hear. So that was the inspiration was really uh, an effort to to serve a broader audience and and just be open handed with the conversations that I'm stewarding. Mm -hmm. So I'm just scrolling through uh, some of your your podcasts that you've had, and you've had church leaders, you've had business leaders. Tell me some of the more common things leaders say uh, that you would kind of go, huh? I guess we are all kind of the same with some of these things. Uh, I think the COVID world has taught us all that we are just guessing in a lot of areas. What yeah. are some common things you're hearing from a, a lot of leaders that you've interviewed? Well, I think one of them would certainly be that I, I don't hear these words, but I'm going to name it under this category, which is uh, be careful what you ask for because you might just get it. And, and ultimately it's a form of a story of, um, success can uh, distance us from the things that make us great and uh, make us who we are. And how many stories um, really, you know, pride is at the back of, you know, Satan, I heard it said, uh, one good thing about Satan is he, he's not very original, right? He's really got about three buttons that he pushes to influence leaders um, in a negative way. And and one of them will always be pride or even be connected to pride. And so I think one of the things I see in leaders is just an awareness of uh, the more that I'm influential and successful, the easier it is for me to insulate. And there's going to be tension in that. And I think it's Andy Stanley that, you know, says you don't solve tensions, you manage them, you solve problems, but you manage tensions. And what's great about that from a leadership standpoint is that, that you have to 
in some ways be less available. You can't do the things that you're doing at this level and do all the things you were doing at the prior level. You just mm-hmm. can't. So you're going to have to say no to things that maybe you used to say yes to in order to do these other things. And and that's usually good. But to be aware that in order to not be overworked and all these other things and to stay focused and, and to really achieve the wins in the limited number of areas you need to in the next phase, you're going to have to say no, not only to the new asks that are coming at you, but prior mm. asks. Um, that's necessary, but at the same point to the extreme, you have insulated and isolated yourself from the people who are the voices that are truth tellers in your life that are truly championing you. Um, but sometimes the conversations they want to have are not the ones you want to have. And as a leader, you have to back up and you have to say, am I surrendered to authority? And in what ways? And is it is it is it uh, is it uh, whatever they call it like uh, just like um, where it's a it's a not really authority I'm surrendered to. It looks like authority, but at the end of the day, I'm in control of that board or that boardroom or that situation. Or am I absolutely a facade? That's what I was thinking of. It's a mm-hmm. facade of authority, and we all know and have seen leaders that have managed. There's no perfect system and they've managed systems to be in complete control and isolation. There's nobody around them that speaks the truth um, honestly and openly because they care about them. Not only they care about the journey that they're on, but they care about them as a person. And typically we find out that every leader has clay feet. And so, you know, that's a, that's an interesting thing, how the world uh, and how God works. And no matter how big of a ministry you have, God would rather have your heart then he would be facilitating a reputation that's based on lies. And so you, you see these ministries come crumbling down, these churches come crumbling down. Um, and, and it's a lot of people go, Oh, well I would, you know, what does that say about God? And I say, actually it says something really great about God. It says that God would rather have our hearts in surrender to him than he would be a reputation that's built you know, on, on shambles that everybody thinks is great, but it really isn't. So I think one of the key things in leadership is remaining under authority. I think it's remaining humble despite success. It's being willing. If you, if you take Jesus as an example, um, he could have fed the 5,000 and done it again the next day for breakfast, but he didn't. Right. So he goes up on the hillside, right. Alone. And so at what point do we look at the growth and the trajectory and the momentum and say, am I losing myself in this? Like for that metric to look really good. So I think the good leaders in business, um, and I'm talking primarily about Christian leaders that I'm engaged with in business and ministry leaders that I, I respect, they're honoring that. And, you know, I've, I've got a, some, somebody that I highly respect that took a sabbatical about two years ago. And, and since he's come back is probably doing 30% less hmm. and it's beautiful to see mm-hmm. because the 70% that he's focused on is way more fruitful than the hundred percent pre-sabbatical. You've been in lay leadership, you've been in pastoral leadership, and you've watched people take shots at the lead pastor, say things negative, approach them in the wrong way. Certainly, you've probably even seen this in the military to some degree. 
What's the right way to approach a leader to confront them on something that you're concerned about in a way that builds a bridge rather than tears it down? I think, and, and this is true about what you're asking, but it's also true just about anything we do, anything we act on uh, that we take seriously. Um, if you haven't prayed about it twice as much as you fretted about it, mm. then you don't do anything until you get to that point. You have to pray about it twice as much as you've worried, stressed, or fretted about it. And when you get to that point, and it may take you a week before the anxiety level goes down and the amount of prayer has gone up. Um, so that's number one. Number two is, and in church we're horrible at this. We, we gossip about it, but we bathe the gossip in, well, I want to just run this by somebody. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things that I think you need to do is um, you need to not, you need to refrain completely from inviting anybody else into the conversation. If you have tension and you feel like you need to confront somebody with something, um, you need to pray about it twice as much as you've worried about it, and you need to avoid inviting anybody else into the conversation. The only exception would be somebody like your father or you know um, somebody outside your church community hmm. who is a personal friend and disconnected from everybody in there, but don't go take it to two other staff people over lunch and run it by them or your friend who used to be in your small group who's a board member and run it by them. Um, you isolate the conversation inside of that community. Um, and unless there's something, if there's truly something illegal or, or really unethical, then you know there's, there's the chance that you're gonna have to get other church authorities or even local authorities involved. So that, that being aside, for, for normal disagreements in that type of environment, I think you limit the people involved to you and the other person. And that's, mm. that's really, you know, I think it's Matthew 19 or Matthew 18. That's, that's really how you honor somebody. And I can tell you, I haven't always done that. Mm -hmm. Right. So to your listeners, I am guilty. Right. Um, I have not always done that. I have caught myself venting in a way that sounds healthy and makes me look good. But then at the end of the day, it's not very healthy at all. Mm -hmm. But when I have done it, God's done supernatural stuff mm. in those situations. Um, God has really brought peace into those situations that I can't explain when I've honored the other person by not talking about it. Or even if you, if you have to involve a third person, one of the things I've done is I've gone to the person and say, I want you to talk to the third person, not me, you, you talk to the third person and get their perspective. And then the three of us can reconvene. And then you don't engage until the two of them have engaged and you're honoring that other person hmm. and you're defusing the friction that you have between you and that other person when you let them tell their story to a mediator first. Mm -hmm. That's good. That's really wise, Sean. All right. Well, I want to throw you a couple questions here as we wrap up, but you've had all this experience. You've talked to all these great leaders. What do church leaders need to know in a post COVID world, having yeah. gone through what we've just gone through and, and you know, it's beginning to trail off a little bit with vaccines and that kind of stuff. But 
What what's the fallout from this? What do church leaders need to be thinking through as we approach and get get through twenty twenty one? Yeah, yeah. I think. Um, do you know who Ryan Holiday is? Yes, I've heard the name. Yeah, so he's an author, and uh, he's got a couple books out there. But he writes this this mindset. One of his books is called "The Obstacle Is the Way," and I think it's a genius concept. It's the stoic mindedness of seeing something that's daunting but facing it anyways. And um, I think for for church leaders, I'm very sanguine. I'm very excited about church moving forward. And what what I will say from a contrarian thinker's standpoint is that doesn't mean I'm super excited about the idea that your attendance numbers, you know, by the end of 21 are going to be right back where they were pre-COVID. Um, because I don't think that that necessarily is the most important way to measure what God wants to do to his church through this pandemic. Mm -hmm. And so I would say, if you ask yourself, do I believe Paul, the apostle Paul grew while he was in prison? Pick, pick, a, pick an imprisonment. Um, <laughs> got a long list. Um, do I believe he grew in prison? And do I believe God had his hand on that? God blessed the ministry that happened while he was in prison. And I would argue that most of us would probably say yes. And there are multiple reasons for that, good reasons for that. And I would say that I really derive my answer for the church. Like I'm excited about the church because I believe that the church was already beginning to advance beyond things it was attached to mm. and things that we attached ourselves to were always things in the rearview mirror. And I'm not saying they're bad things, but if we're looking in the rearview mirror and celebrating success in a certain way, and we're not looking forward to say, now that we're here, what does God want us to do after this with our next steps? And I think COVID has accelerated that. It's not only accelerated that for everybody, maybe many people who were already thinking about that, um, is how do we shed things that are less effective, shed things that maybe are comfortable for us, but it's not helping us do our mission. COVID has sped that up, but it's not only sped that up for all of us, it's caused so many more people to begin to hunger for fresh perspective, mm -hmm. fresh perspective on our ministry. What are we doing that we need to keep doing, right? It's just the basic, what are we doing that we need to keep doing? What are we not doing that we have to start doing? And what are we doing or have we been doing that we absolutely have to stop doing? And so I believe part of God's plan will be speeding up the process of the advancement of the church as we re-examine how effective we are at our mission. Are we spending, um, I'm, you know, I'm working with multiple churches. I'm thinking of one in particular um, that was getting ready to spend, you know, $10 million on their next multi-site and maybe we're going to be reaching, you know, 1,500 people with that mm -hmm. site. And you can't put a dollar amount on, on reaching somebody, but what COVID has done is it's caused them to pause to say, we know how to do that. We know how to launch a site and to do our best to ensure its success. But they have been absolutely convicted that they need to take more risks to become innovative, to figure out 
What if we press pause on all of that and mm -hmm. diverted the entire amount of resources, $10 million into figuring out how to do online church, not just get a service online, but to understand who are we engaging? Where are they at? Right. The process of reaching and discipling people, not to say that we only want people reached and discipled online, but what if we were to truly see transformation in the church through doing that? The churches that are willing to begin to take those types of risks, they probably would have done that over time, but COVID has absolutely accelerated that and it has catalyzed. And I think those leaders, and I don't know which ones, but those types of leaders will be the leaders that really set the stage for what church means a decade from now. Mm. So if I'm a church leader, I've got to you know, lead ahead with fresh vision, new ideas, creativity, not holding on to the past. But what about yeah. if I'm a leader in a church? Yeah. Meaning I'm a plumber, but I also work in you know, the security team or I lead mm -hmm. a small group ministry for, for kids or whatever it is. Um, and I just can't wait to get back to normal <laughs> yeah. because I felt such great comfort in the seat that I sat in on Sunday, the three songs that we sang, the pastor I'm used to hearing, and the ministries we used to offer, what would you tell that leader in a church about kind of holding on loosely? Yeah. Um, it really goes back to flexibility, that word flexibility. But I would just say, don't protect the fiefdom or don't don't put yourself in a position where you're protecting turf um one of the thing one of the reasons why i'm in the type of ministry that i'm in developing other leaders is because uh, an author named tom rayner who used to lead lifeway wrote a book about the church that i was in is called breakout churches mm -hmm. and it was it was a story about 10 churches that had breakout growth um and ministry fruit um, without a change in senior leadership. So they just were willing to to change something and do something different. And when he released that book, lots of church leaders, lay leaders, people in churches wanted to know, oh, well, well tell us what, what, was, what were the findings of this book? Give me the Cliff Notes version. And the truth is there is no silver bullet, right? Mm. We, we all know you can go and learn what other churches are doing and try them in your own church and they often don't work or don't work at the level that, that you hope they would. Um, and so I, but I think the core of as your church adapts and moves forward, if you are in a church, what you need to be willing to do is not cling to anything. Cause the secret of a breakout church is a church that's willing to sacrifice everything for what can be. Mm. We are willing to shut a program down and churches. We can get very clingy to different aspects of things, um, within our ministry, um, but don't hold so tightly to something that is, is your turf or your fiefdom and fail to grasp that God, whether we like it or not, his history is working through leaders with vision and influence to help paint a picture of things that we have the privilege of being involved in. And so ask yourself, if I hold that a little less tightly and I remain a little more open to what this concept of fresh vision look like is it something where like it's worth the risk do i trust this leader those types of thoughts but at the end of the day it goes down to flexibility and don't protect what was but ask yourself are you capable of grasping what could be mm. that's so great
Sean, as, uh, you know, as we wrap up here, just remind people where they can find you and your podcast and those kind of things. Just a refresher for all of us. Yeah, absolutely. You can find the podcast. It's just search Leaders in Living Rooms wherever you listen to podcasts, or you can put my name, Sean Morgan. Uh, everything we do will be posted on my social, which is at underscore Sean Morgan. And I'm actually the interim director at Leadership Network right now and sort of stewarding a season there with what uh, 2021 and beyond will look like. And so you can find out um, I'm blogging there at leadnet.org every week and our podcast is released to their email list. And of course, cdfcapital.org is our parent company and everything we do is a part of that. We've got some incredible cohorts through Craft and Character, which Steve Carter leads for us. And we've got some other cohorts that you can find out about. All the moniker for all of our cohorts is theascentleader.org. That's great. Sean, thank you so much. Absolutely. Rusty, thanks for having me. Well, thank you for listening. And make sure you hit subscribe. Make sure you share with a friend. Next week, we're going to have a lot of fun. I get to talk to a guy I knew in college because we were rivals. He was at a different college. Uh, than I was and our basketball teams would face each other twice a year sometimes three and he was amazing and now he's an incredible pastor and author he's New York Times bestseller Mark Batterson he's going to join us on the podcast so make sure you're back for that thank you to Grow Minimum and Stadia for sponsoring and if you're interested in sponsoring the show you can contact me at rgeorge at reallifechurch.org Take a moment and subscribe to the podcast so you'll get it delivered every week. And subscribe to the Rusty George YouTube channel for more devotionals, messages, and fun videos. Thank you for listening to Leading Simple. Let's just-